This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, do we like this movie? This week we're covering uh, Chris Nolan's Batman reboot, uh, Batman Begins. And we're both huge Batman fans, so we're going to express your giant boner for Christopher Nolan and for Batman, and I'm going to be sitting here. What's your first Batman movie that you ever saw? Fucking Batman Forever. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, my first, the first Batman movie I remember is actually Batman and Robin, so not a really good start. As far as my experience with Batman movies. Nice. And then I saw... Which one was the one with the Penguin? With Danny DeVito? Batman Returns. Yeah, I remember that one. I remember that one was terrifying because of all the fucking weird clowns and penguins going on there. Yeah, Batman Returns is sneaky uh, one of my favorite Batman movies. Because it takes place during Christmas. Even though the movie was like... Released in the summer of 92, apparently. Really? Yeah. What a weird time, (laughs) like, for a Christmas movie to take place. Yeah. Or to be released, I mean. Tim Burton, that's what he wanted, right? Like, I feel like there was a certain time and a certain point in Tim Burton's career where all he wanted to do was make Christmas movies. Like, like huge fucking quotes around Christmas. Well, like, dark Christmas movies, you know what I mean? Yeah, true. But Batman Returns was my first introduction to the Batman movies. Uh, I was so obsessed with that movie as a kid. I rented it an endless amount of times uh, from the, you know, there was a place uh, that was down the street from my parents' house. Oh, yeah, I remember, yeah. I used to rent movies there all the time. And uh, I cannot tell you how many times I rented every Batman movie that existed at that time, which was like a toss-up between Batman Forever and Batman Returns. <laughs> you know what's what's funny is you really like Batman Returns, which is like that dark, uh, kind of like a very good example of a Batman story. And that, then it's actually a poor example of a Batman story. I don't think so. I mean, it's a good Elseworlds story. It's just there's not like. Then, uh, whatever. I don't want to get into this argument of what con- what constitutes a Batman story and what doesn't. But the point is, it had dark shit, it had fights, and it had big, goofy, stupid, fuck-off villains. And then, mine was the super... The My first experience with Batman was the super stupid, campy one that I love to this day because of Arnie. <laughs> yeah, well, the movie that you love... Actually killed the franchise. Yeah. (laughs) I told you I love bad movies. Fuck. And it killed it to such a point that after 97... uh, It killed it real good. Yeah, like, you know, like, Batman and Robin was synonymous with the worst movies in the history of Hollywood, like, ever. Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's funny to, uh, to think about the fact that they actually did plan a fifth Batman movie in that chronology. And that series is so weird because Gotham changes like seven times. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's funny because the, the, the idea for the fifth Batman movie was always going to be that it was going to be darker. Like, even in the uh, original, like, stages of planning what they 
it's it's I don't you know there's no official I don't think there's any official title or anything from it, but the rumor was that it was going to be called Batman Triumphant. I was really hoping it was going to be Batman in Hell or like <laughs> Batman in Space. <laughs> so uh, and the villains in this movie were going to be Scarecrow uh. and uh, Joker's daughter Harley Quinn. <laughs> And they wanted to bring Jack Nicholson back to do a scene in uh, in that movie mm-hmm. where they would have had like the Scarecrow like gas Batman, and while he's like, oh, been okay. poisoned, that's when he would have seen like the Joker as a hallucination. Which is really funny because that's kind of what happens in Arkham Knight. Spoilers for a game that came out like five years ago. <laughs> but yeah, that's like one of the big things is Batman hallucinates Joker and that's his best friend. Yeah. That's his pal. Absolutely. So. And, and funny enough, I, the rumor was that they wanted to get Howard Stern to play the Scarecrow. Ew, really? <laughs> and, Buttman? <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine that they were going to go that far with that concept anyway, but it just felt like the ideas that they had were going to go further into a terrible direction, but they wanted it to be darker. Mm -hmm. And so then after that came, uh, you know, a couple movies uh, in between. One of them was a Batman Superman versus Superman movie that they wanted to get together. That's stupid. Who would ever make that movie? (laughs) And that movie was going to be written by... I forget exactly what the writer's name is, but he's the guy who wrote the movie Seven. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he they they wanted him to write the script for a Batman vs Superman movie. Mm. Um, the other movie that they had planned was there was a movie called Batman Dark Knight, mm. and this movie was gonna also feature Scarecrow as the villain. But joining him, because it's like, now we're at a point with Batman movies where they had the rule of two. You had to have a bunch of villains. Which is funny, because I feel like they almost always have that. Like, I feel like it's a thing that's, ever since Batman Returns, it's never gone away. Because Batman, the original, the 1989, you have Joker, who's the only villain, played by Jack Nicholson. Uh, Batman Returns, you had Penguin and Catwoman. Mm -hmm. Um, Batman Forever, you had Riddler and Two-Face. Batman and Robin, you had Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy, and Bane, which I guess, you know... Mr. Freeze, Poison Ivy, Bane... It felt like there was one more in there, wasn't there? Uh, Maybe like some reference or somebody, but yeah, for the most part. Yeah, so they wanted to continue with it, and if you look at the Batman series now, like this week's movie... You know, we got Ra's al Ghul, and... This has a stupid amount of villains in (laughs) it! And Scarecrow! You yeah. know who are the two main villains in this? Uh, Dark Knight. But Victor Zaz is in it. That's Carmine true. Carmine Falcone's in it. But I mean, like, out of, like, the rogues gallery villains. Yeah, it depends who you talk to. Some people consider them part of it. I mean, it depends how, what, what your definition of rogues gallery. Like, do they have to be stupid looking villains? Or? I think, I think there's, uh, to me, it's always been a separation between, like, the mob, like, the Batman mob stories, and then mm-hmm. Batman, like, rogues gallery stories. Well, this movie does a really good job of kind of mixing both. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and so so the, the, the Batman Dark Knight script was supposed to take place in a world where, uh, after Batman and Robin, where Robin had, you know, and Batman had basically retired, I guess. Uh, Robin was off in college. Um, and the villain was going to be Scarecrow, and the other villain was going to be Man-Bat. 
Oh, I love Man Bat. So it's, He's so stupid. <laughs> so, you know, it was a much darker take um, on what they were going to do. And they wanted to portray an older Batman. So the idea was that they wanted to go to something that might have resembled more Dark Knight Returns. You know? Like oh, the, yeah, yeah. Like the bigger, older, grizzled Batman who has to come out of retirement to face something new that's threatening the city. Gotcha, gotcha. And then finally, um, I think, and this is, you know... The graphic novel that shares the most similarities to this movie is Batman Year One by Frank Miller. Yeah. Um, Frank Miller was commissioned to write a script for Year One, uh, you know, before this landed in the hands of Chris Nolan. And his script is fucking bananas if you ever read about it. Was that the one where, like, Alfred's black and he's, like, a tow truck driver and... Mechanic. Oh, he's a mechanic, Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I fucked up, uh, you know, (laughs) black Alfred. And in this one, Batman was pretty much a psychopath. Yeah. Um, I don't even think he was rich. He wasn't even rich in this. Um, Batmobile was gonna be a Lincoln Continental that was, like souped up or something like that it was a really bizarre story well have you ever heard of holy terror batman yes so for some reason frank miller went batshit crazy for like some strange point between 1995 and like 2005 (laughs) where he wanted to write a very jingoistic batman story where he was going to be fighting al-qaeda and killed osama bin laden yeah yeah. so this was around that time that frank miller did not give a fuck dude no no i think he's he and i mean i won't i don't want to lump him in the same category as alan moore like last week when we talked about Watchmen. yeah but you know it's like it's something about like when you write a seminal batman story is eventually you just kind of go nuts yeah you just gotta (laughs) yeah you just lose your shit I mean, just ask Grant Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that, it's a bizarre movie if you ever... I mean, it's a bizarre script if you ever uh, look it up. Um, and finally, you know, then in... I think it was 2003 was when I first heard about it. There was a mm-hmm. website. I don't. I think it was called Coming Soon or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was... Because at this point, I was super geeky. I was not in high school yet. I didn't try to act cool yet and stuff like that. I was still in an awkward period between childhood and adolescence. And I was discovering a lot of movie news on the internet. So ah, the two gotcha. movies that I... There's two movies that I swear to you, like every day I would get on the computer and I would try to find out news about. They were Jurassic Park 4 <laughs> and the new Batman movie. Like, that was that was my jam. I needed to find out what was going on. Fucking put it in my veins. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, sometime in 2003, that's where the news broke that uh, that, that a director named Christopher Nolan Do you have was any idea? Do you no. have any idea who he was at this no, point? No, I was a kid, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I was, I was maybe 11 years old, 12 years old maybe. I was too young for Memento. Yeah. I didn't watch Memento until after I watched Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. That so, makes sense. It's so my 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 actual uh, introduction to Christopher Nolan is this week's movie. Okay. Um, I thought it was weird. I, I you know because I'd never heard of this director before. Um, to me, I always felt like you know at this time the Spider Man movies started coming out. X Men had come yeah. out, and uh, Superman Returns was before or after, after this movie. Okay, comes never a mind. year after this one. Um, but they were, you know, it was in development. 
you know, this was several years after the Nick Cage Superman project fell apart, right? And never Aww. ended up happening. Um, Written by Kevin Smith. Have some respect. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it's like uh, a couple years went by. And by the time the actual movie was coming out, I was a sophomore in high school. So I had... I, my you know I, my interest had greatly changed in two years. Yeah, you wanted boobs, <laughs> and I just it, you know to me it just wasn't cool anymore. You know, I wait, movies I, weren't cool or Batman wasn't cool. A little of both. <gasps> like I to me just being into anything too much felt a little whack. Like I was oh. actually getting more into gangster movies at this time because you were trying to be a made man. <laughs> well, I just you know like I was I was just more into crime stuff and wasn't interested in superheroes anymore. Um, in you liked real shit. Well, yeah, like in, in superhero movies didn't really become cool again to me until I'd say maybe the second Spider Man movie. Really. Like, even the first one, I think, like, I swear, the first Spider-Man movie, when it came out, I think you forced me to watch it. Probably, because yeah, I fucking like, loved Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, like, we, we, we'd gone on a trip or something like that, and you just, like, yeah, you was like, oh, you should watch it. Oh, all right, fine, I'll watch it, I'll watch it. And I ended up actually liking it. Hmm. Obviously, everybody loved Spider-Man when it came out in 02. Damn like, straight. It was set the gold standard for yeah. a while. And then this movie came out. Yeah. And then it's funny because I think it, a lot of that painted my experience with Batman Begins. Like, it felt to me more than anything, especially when I saw it, like a Batman movie trying to do Spider-Man. You know, Batman never had a proper origin story on film. Mm -hmm. You know, like, even Tim Burton's first Batman movie, he just exists. He's already Batman when it starts. Mm -hmm. Right? So, um, I, I think the the proposition of creating a movie where you're going to explain how Batman becomes Batman, for some reason, I had no interest in that at that time. Mm -hmm. And it felt like they were just ripping off Spider-Man to me. Oh, so the, okay. And I think the movie came out, like... It didn't even come out in the summer. Like, it came out in January, didn't it? Like, of 05? It came out, like, at a weird time. I want to say it did come out in the summer. I do want to say it was, like, one of those trying to be, like, a maybe early summer. Like, yeah. June. Because I do... It, it, like, it, basically what I mean is it just it flew under the radar. To the point, for me at least, mm -hmm. to the point where I didn't watch it in theaters. It was the first Batman movie I hadn't seen in theaters since Batman Forever. So I watched mm -hmm. Forever, I watched Batman and Robin, and then I, by that time that Batman Begins came out, I did not watch it. Um, I think I was more interested in Spider-Man 2 when it came out the year before, and I was just over Batman at that point. It's funny, because I think there was a certain point where I became more of a Batman fan than you. I think so. Like, at least through high school. Because through high school, I definitely loved uh, movies. Uh, or, I mean, I love superhero movies and just superhero stories in general. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. That, that's kind of weird to me. So, that year, summer releases included... V from Vendetta, Constantine, but it included Sin City, Serenity, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So, Brokeback Mountain, there was a shit ton of movies that came out during the same time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 40-Year-Old Virgin came out this year, too. Yeah, man, but there was like a bunch of other movies that I can see grabbed your would grab your attention before mm -hmm. Batman Begins does. Well, that and again, Batman and Robin had ruined the franchise. To the point where not a lot of people had interest in it, right? 
I and, had interest. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that movie was made for me. Okay, <laughs> I mean like other people, right? And 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 yeah, fucking normies. And also because I didn't understand Chris Nolan and I hadn't seen Memento, mm-hmm. I just there was nothing. Like he was just a guy to me. Like he, he, him as a director was a name to me. Um, but you know, one day after the movie had been out for several months on video, I rented it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched it at home, and no one else in my family was interested in watching it. Um, so I watched it in my room, and, you know, by myself, and I cannot tell you how engrossed I was by the movie. Like, and I, and it was so different from anything I had seen that, you know, that at the end of it, I didn't even know how to feel about it. <laughs> really? <laughs> Which is usually how I am, like, I'm usually like that with movies that I love. And if and when, well, not if, when, when we eventually get to Last Jedi and we, mm-hmm. like, discuss Star Wars, I'm going to be the Last Jedi Defender because it was, it, it's, it's one, one of those, us needs to be. <laughs> it's one of those movies that gave me that feeling when I got out. Where, where I you're like, like, I think this is good? No, where, like, I actually got out, like, where I actually finished watching it and I was like, this can't be the best one, can it? <laughs> oh, we are so going to fight. We are so good at fucking fight. <laughs> so, you know, we'll, we'll table that and we'll leave that as a tease for, you know, the spring where we do decide to tackle Star Wars. Um, because I, I, I can't wait. I really yeah, there's like nine movies, movie. y'all. <laughs> Shit. We'll get to it. It's a fucking long series. Yeah. Oh, man. But I was always a huge fan of Batman. Uh, but the reason why Batman Begins brings such fond memories... Remember what you were talking about how Watchmen brings fond memories for you? Oh, yeah. Batman Begins does that for me because this was my freshman year of high school before life beat me down. <laughs> before life fucking elbow dropped me into hell. But, you know, like, I, the reason why I remember this movie specifically is... It was... I think I wanted to go see it right after my birthday. That's why I'm pretty sure it's a, oh, okay. so a that summer would be, release. There has to be a summer. Though. yeah. And I remember because the video game tie-in came out at the same time. And I was like, I, I became such a fucking Batman stan that I was like, I remember me, me and my dad went to go watch the movie. I bought our tickets because I had birthday money. So I bought our tickets. I took them out to fucking, I forgot where we went to go eat. And then I still had enough money to go to fucking Game Freak. Remember that shit? <laughs> went to Game Freak right next to Hollywood Video and bought myself... A copy of Batman Begins for PlayStation 2. Fucking no life that shit that night. Went back and returned it and got $15. (laughs) And I was like, man, it was so cool. It felt like Batman. I felt like I was Batman. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, holy shit, that was an awful game. (laughs) But, you know, it has a lot of fond memories because it was, like, definitely right before I went into high school. Yeah. So it it was a good time. Uh, so, you know, um, we'll, we'll go ahead and get right into the movie. The movie uh, starts with uh, a flashback. And in the flashback, uh, you know, it's, it's Bruce, Bruce Wayne and young Rachel Dawes, who is yep. the female lead in this movie, who is not a comic book character. Um, no, she's an original character. She's an original creation uh, by Chris Nolan. And... Uh, she was played by Katie Holmes and would eventually be recast in Dark Knight by Maggie Gyllenhaal. So I guess my question to you is, uh, which actress that Katie played Holmes. this character is it? 
I'm not even going to let you finish. I, nah, I really like Katie Holmes in the first one. Maggie Gyllenhaal looked like she had the same face and the same reaction to literally everything in the movie. So Katie Holmes actually emoted better. And I don't know, it felt like they had a little bit more... Chemistry? Chemistry than with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Well, what I heard about this movie is that Nolan, like, created this part with her, with, with Katie Holmes in mind. Oh, uh, that makes sense. So it's like, so it, I guess it, it always does feel like her character. I have to say in Dark Knight, I actually think Maggie Gyllenhaal is better for that movie. I'm glad this character is not in Dark Knight, is what I mean. Oh, you... Like, gl- she feels yeah, yeah. like a different character, and, like, to the point where, in Dark Knight, like, I, I don't feel like they have any relationship to each other. You'd rather Maggie Gyllenhaal break Christian Bale's heart than, you know... Kate. That has to be what it is. Yeah. yeah. So, um... So, yeah, there's, uh... Uh, Bruce Wayne falls in the well um, that's on the grounds of Wayne Manor, right? Stagely Wayne Manor. <laughs> and, uh... While he's down in the well, uh, he sees this crowd of bats that come surround him and kind of attack him, and uh, which brings up probably the theme of the entire movie, uh, which is fear, right? Oh, like I, that, I thought that, it was bats. <laughs> well, the word fear is is just said like, like a million times, right? Like it's it's it's. I feel like the Nolan Batman movies have like a single word. Uh, theme that goes throughout them and this one's all about fear conquering fear using your fear fearing fear (laughs) yeah like i mean to the point where like i had never considered the fact that he was afraid of bats Mm -hmm. like i always thought that he liked them like i i i you know what i mean like yeah it's a a different approach to it and the idea that that he was gonna choose you know that, that that his costume and outfit was going to be something that he was actually afraid of is interesting yep you know and uh they introduced that with this uh they go through the you know the the batman origin story that we all know right like it's it well except in this one instead of going to a movie theater they go to an opera yeah which includes bats yeah yeah for for some fucking reason it's instead of cats they went to go watch bats (laughs) well i guess in this alternate universe that's that must be what was on Broadway for like years and years here. We're gonna watch Bats, <laughs> <laughs> Mister James Woods, looking Thomas Wayne, and yeah, I, mean, I swear to God, he still looks like James Woods to me. <laughs> um, funny enough, like we've already seen a new version of this, you know, Bruce Wayne, like Batman origin in Batman vs Superman, and yeah. Well, I think like I think you mentioned it when we watched The Watchmen how well done it was in Batman v Superman to the, the point where if the Batman origin you know if if the scene from Batman v Superman that shows that shows his parents dying mm-hmm. was inserted into this movie in some sort of fan edit yep. I'd like it more even yeah, even yeah. that even more than I already like it right like mm-hmm. I just I don't know there's just it's much more dramatic it's there's well, the the thing is, when Thomas Wayne and when Martha Wayne, I was about to say Mary. Oh shit! <laughs> I was about to look like a big dumb idiot on the internet. But when Thomas and Martha like get gunned down in Batman Begins, it kind of happens so fast to the point where it's kind of an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't you cough on, <laughs> don't you cough on the mic? But you know, it's like it happens so fast that you think it's like an afterthought. And the fact that Martha almost plays zero, like, kind of, like, 
emphasis or it has yeah, zero. Yeah, that's another that's another big change that this movie does. It's all Thomas. Is that it's like it's not my parents. I mean, yeah, there's a couple moments where he says my parents, but a lot of it is my father. Yeah. And like Bruce Wayne is now like this, you know, kid who's like searching for a father figure. And even Thomas gets the the big line that everyone loves, right? Like, why do we fall so that we can get back up? And it's kind of bizarre that Martha Wayne is such a afterthought in this series. Uh, and then you get to, you know, this is me jumping ahead, but you get to Dawn of Justice, right? And in Dawn of Justice... Like, Martha becomes such a focal point in one of the stupidest way possible, but... That's true. I you know? never thought about that that way. So, wow. I, I wonder if Zack Snyder did that as a nod. Like, Martha deserves some love, too. But it feels like, you know, you got two very different movies where... Well, two... it's like... It's, it's like... Have you ever heard of... Um, like, I, I've taken a film class before when I was in college. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> there's this thing in film class where they... They give like two, they give two different uh, people in the class, right? Uh huh. Uh, they'll give you a script, a script with zero context, mm -hmm. right? Like it's just lines. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. And the idea was that each one would have to create their own version of it. And one of the nice things about a project like that is you find out like how two different filmmakers have two different approaches to it, mm -hmm. and two different things that they focus on. And you see that definitely in the Batman stories. It's actually really interesting because you see it in so many different movies. Like, I remember in high school watching, I think, and then seeing the seeing the differences in the same scene. You watch the same scene with two different movies, and you're like, oh, one of them sound, looked very incestuous, and one of them was like, eh, it's okay. And the scene I'm talking about, I, I, I don't remember because fucking Shakespeare's for nerds. But I remember there's this one Macbeth movie where with uh I think it's Mel Gibson? Mel Gibson and like Glenn Close? Okay. I don't know. <laughs> and there's like a part where Glenn Close is supposed to be Macbeth's mom and she starts making out with him, like to get him to shut up. And I was like, ew. <laughs> Sorry for the tangent. <laughs> Sorry for the super weird edible tangent. Uh, well getting back uh to this is the movie right after the flashback, um you know, the flashback comes because it really opens up with adult Bruce Wayne in a prison somewhere in East Asia, right? Yeah, he's doing some gangster shit. And um, by this point, he's some sort of criminal, you know. Um, <clears throat> no, he never wanted to be one of them, remember? He just wanted to understand their mentality. Well, fine. But, you know, <laughs> he is, you know, he is found in a cell <clears throat> by uh, a guy named, you know, uh, Henry Ducard. Who is a, who? Who is in Batman comics? But my understanding is that he's not a guy who trained Bruce Wayne. No, if I remember correctly, Henry Ducard is a detective. He's like an Interpol detective, I think. That he worked with Batman on some cases and like some old stories from the nineties. <clears throat> so that that starts the theme in this movie that you'll see. Is a lot of Batman comic book characters that are going to show up in bit parts. Oh yeah, there's going to be a shit ton. <clears throat> so, um, well, yeah, and, and Ducard is played by uh, Liam Neeson, <laughs> <laughs> who at the time they were recording this, 
uh, you know, there's a news story that broke out about Liam Neeson. That, oh, like, there's a big yikes. Well, do you want to tell it or I'll tell it? Well, I'm sure everybody's read it by yeah, now, Yeah, but right? just in case you haven't. <laughs> so, uh, I, I guess it was his, his friend was sexually assaulted, right? And this was, what, back in the 90s, I think? A friend of his was sexually assaulted and... Liam Neeson was so angry that he went on record as saying that he stalked the London streets at night looking for a random black man to kill. Or, I'm sorry, hoping he can find a random black man to fight so that he had an excuse to kill him. And it is not a good look. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's awkward to talk about a movie like this. Yeah, with him in it. <laughs> on the heels of this story breaking, right? So So, so this is going to date this episode of the podcast. Yeah. But I, I just, you know, I cannot talk about this movie it's, with Liam Neeson in it without thinking about that thing and getting it out of the way first, right? Because of the fact that who he plays in this movie and how much of a guy... I mean, he... Uh, I made the joke to Angel, which I shouldn't joke about, but it's like he did take his role of Raz al Ghul, or uh, Raish al Ghul, depending on how fucking nerdy you are, but he took his role of Raz al Ghul a little bit too serious without even knowing he was going to take <laughs> that role. Yeah, so, you know, it also, <clears throat> I think you've also let the cat out of the bag, uh, in that <clears throat> Liam Neeson is not, you know, he's not just playing Ducard, uh, but he is also playing Batman villain Raz al Ghul. Yeah, well, or Rache, uh, which more commonly he's known as Rachel Ghoul in the comics. Yeah, but mostly that's more for us nerds. I think uh, Raz Al Ghul is just easier to pronounce. But what's important to really kind of get through in this is, you know, again, another Chris Nolan thing that he's done here is he's tried to make this Batman world as realistic as possible. Yes. Because Rachel Al Ghul is a guy who's. I think like over 600 years old, right? Like he is he has existed for centuries and the only reason why he is still alive in the time that Batman's alive <clears throat> is because something called the Lazarus Pit mm-hmm. exists which basically rejuvenates him and it's like the fountain of youth, right? So it it's a magical him, jacuzzi that keeps him young, yeah, and uh, allows him to live for all these centuries. So, However, each time he uses it, he loses a bit more of his soul, and that's why he's able to do so many terrible things against humanity. And in Batman the, I mean, like really, my introduction to him was Batman the Animated Series, The Touch of Death, and uh, he. I just know that in that oh, okay. in, in the series, like he is. Kind of an eco terrorist, right? Because yeah. he loves the, he loves the earth because he's been he, around for so long, and he's been around for so long, and he saw he's seen what industrialization has done to it. So, yeah. So the focus is different in this movie. I feel like if you were to make a modern version of this, that eco terror like environmentalist thing that might, super fits. That yeah. would be more. You know, it'd be a lot more topical. But you know, in this, the the point in this is uh, that he's discovered and and. His League of Assassins, which in this movie is called the League of Shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're a group of ninjas. They're like a secret order that uh, is supposed to destroy different civilizations once they reach the point of decadence, right? Yep. And um, I guess they talk about how they did it to Rome mm-hmm. and how throughout history they've caused these, you know... They, they did it to Rome, London... Um, and that they were going to do it, and they've done it, like, in cities in the U.S., and that, essentially, well, at this point, Ducard wanted, um, he wanted Bruce Wayne to 
join him and be a part of the destruction of Gotham City. Did he say it was Gotham? He said it was Gotham. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. And then, in order to prove his allegiance to the League of Shadows, uh, Ducard wanted Bruce Wayne to kill a man who... Was he a thief or did he was he a murderer? Um, I forgot what the guy did. He's like a thief. I uh, think he's... He's a thief who ended up killing somebody. That's what it was. So, yeah, yeah he was like... He was robbing a guy of his horse or something and ended up killing a guy. And Bruce Wayne refuses, saying that it's not up to him. It's supposed to be... There's laws in place. It's in a court of law, he's supposed to stand trial. Which, this comes after the training montage that they do together. So you The know, great this, training so montage. This movie, yeah, so this movie does have a training montage. Let's take a moment to talk about that training montage. I'm sorry for jumping so far ahead. Where, so, so, Roz teaches him to become a ninja. Uh, and a lot of the skills that you will come to see later that he learns as Batman... He really learns while he's out here training with the League of uh, League of Shadows, right? Is it League of Shadows? Yeah, it's League, League of, of Shadows. Shadows. Sorry. Um, so it's 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 on top of that, you get a second flashback, which this is like you know only his third movie. Mm-hmm. So I feel like like Memento in some ways. There's a lot of there's time a lot jumping. of layers. Yeah. Yeah. So so um so once he starts having conversations with Ducard, they end up going back in time. Uh, to a time where the guy who killed his parents... Joe Chill. Which, yeah, which they... In this movie, they go back to the original comics, which is Joe Chill killed his parents. Uh, the Tim Burton Batman movie made it the Joker. Which, That's weird. Which is a very controversial choice amongst Batman fans, but yeah. because I saw the movies first before I read the comics, I always assumed that Joker was the guy who killed his parents. Mm-hmm. So to watch this movie for the first time... And see that it wasn't Joker that killed his parents, and that it was just some random bad guy. My thought was, well, Joker's probably going to come in another movie, and that's why they're not doing it here. It wasn't until <laughs> later that I found out, no, this is the guy who did it. And you know, in some ways, it kind of works, right? Like yeah. The idea is that he's just killed by a random criminal instead of being killed by his greatest super villain ever, which stinks of, like, what a coincidence that these two people happen to cross paths so many times yeah. in their lives, right? Which is like the, the problem that the Fox show Gotham runs into a lot. You know? oh, don't get me started on that damn show. You know, uh, that last season that they're on right now, season five, I'm kind of interested in it. I it's just like you want to see show, Batman at the end. Well, it's a show that like the first seasons were not really that great. Um, and now that they're starting to get closer and closer to him becoming Batman, it's kind of neat. Nah. What I don't like about it is that they go through all the Batman storylines before he really becomes him, so... I'm not gonna. This won't become a Gotham podcast. I promise. It was supposed to be a Gotham Central story, and it turned into fucking Batman in high school. That's bullshit. <laughs> but neither here nor there. Uh, so yeah, no. It goes back. So we go back in time to uh, you know him follow, coming go, going with Rachel to uh, the hearing for Joe Chill, and in there, I guess he's gonna go test. He was supposed to testify. He was supposed to testify against Joe Chill, and he changes his mind on doing that. But before he ended up going to the courthouse, Bruce Wayne actually gets a revolver. So oh, yeah. Had... He went to the Dr. Loomis <laughs> School of Psychiatry. <laughs> so he has a gun. And um, I think, you know, the, the, he wants revenge, right? Oh, yeah. He was going to murder him. He was going like, to shoot him dead. He was going to wait till he, is, he left the courtroom and he was going to shoot him dead. And, um, you know, it, it's... Ducard mentions him being truly lost when he found him inside a jail cell. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie does a good job of just showing you how, like, 
you know, he's just going through the like the motions of stuff. He's you're talking, you're looking at a guy whose entire life has been ruined by this, mm-hmm. and he's not afraid to ruin it even further. Yeah, he know, does not care uh, by just following whatever he thinks is the right thing to do. And I think it's, there's a lot of it he gets wrong. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I like about Nolan's Batman trilogy is that, like, Batman is very fallible in this trilogy. Oh, yeah, he's very imperfect. Like, he makes a lot of bad decisions. And um, and at some points, he becomes very unlikable. Yeah, like, absolutely. Especially when you get towards the end of the trilogy. Well, I, I would say going into, like, last half of dark knight into dark knight rises you're like man fuck this guy <laughs> um so uh you know he ends up getting beat to the punch by a woman who is a reporter yeah okay i was wondering who, what why she was there yeah who was hired by falcone to assassinate him because he was going to the whole reason that bruce had to testify to begin with was because joe cho actually was snitching on Falcone yeah. uh, for a commuted sentence. Right. In Carmine Falcone, so he is a character that is introduced in Frank Miller's Year One. Mm-hmm. Um, the Roman. Well, I don't know if he is introduced there, but... Um, I think he is. Is he? Okay. Yeah. He's famously, to me, he is, he is one of the main villains in my favorite Batman arc ever, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, Bat, Batman Long Halloween, the Long Halloween... Is my favorite Batman story of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a good one. And I recommend it for everyone to just go out and seek the graphic novel. Like, it is a... Uh, all the ideas that you that you come to find in Dark Knight mm-hmm. are... Like, that, that that is the text from which the Dark Knight script is from, basically. Uh, kind of a tangent, but if you get a chance to check out the New 52 Batman Eternal run... I think it was a, I think they tried to do like, it was two issues every month or maybe four issues every month, but it's like a 52 issue series where they go over a year in Gotham where Carmine Falcone actually comes back to Gotham. To reestablish his organized crime like family there, mm-hmm. because he's tired of the rogues gallery controlling yeah. Gotham, so he wages war against all of Batman's villains yeah. and Batman at the same time. So it's like a weird three-way turf war between. Well, so is so is so is the sequel to to Long Halloween as well. Yeah, right? very much so. Uh, yeah. So there's a comic that comes after. So. I'll put it to you this way. The comic book that this movie is based on, Year One, this, you know... Uh, this Long is a ha- mix of a couple. Long Halloween yeah. Long Halloween is a, is a direct sequel to Year One. Yeah. Because they reference Falcone and his nephew, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and what's also neat about the Halloween Dark Victory uh, arc is that if you are a fan of The Godfather... There is dialogue and plot points that are pulled directly from the Godfather mm-hmm. movies in it. Uh, so, me, I love those movies, so I that, that's probably why it's my favorite series ever. But, you know, uh, Falcone, he is, you know, he is the mob boss in this city. He runs the city. He, he controls runs everything in Gotham City. Uh, the Gotham City that we're seeing in this movie... Uh, it is Chicago, uh, which is the same city that we'll see in the next movie. Chirac. But it feels so different. 
mm-hmm. than it does in Dark Knight. Like everything is grimier. Mm-hmm. There's parts of it, like you know, there's the the Narrows neighborhood that feels like something out of Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, just really tall apartment buildings, like very claustrophobic. Like, and also like one of the things I like about this is, um, you know, Batman came was came around in 1939. Yep. He was around the Great Depression, right? Like that mm-hmm. is that is the time period in which in which Batman, you know, comes about. Um or at least you know the tail end of yeah. the Great Depression. So this movie actually in this universe, Gotham has just exited a depression mm-hmm. that it was in for many years. So I to me that felt like a reference to to me that's what I thought that was a reference to is that it and it's important to note that the Waynes were a big reason why the city of Gotham was able to recover from this uh, depression. Yeah, and their philanthropy is... Their philanthropy really brought a lot and kind of made the city better. And there's a scene where after Joe Chill was killed that uh, Bruce goes to confront Carmine Falcone to prove that he's not afraid of him. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, he says he says something to the extent of "You're lucky you're a Wayne." Like, you know, you're lucky your parents. I know who your parents were. Yeah. Um. Otherwise, I would shoot you right here. And to prove a point, he pulls his gun out in front of he said the chief of police, a district attorney, like a city council member. Like, a bunch of high-ranking officials in the city, and he threatens to shoot them right in front of all of them. So... And that's a power that you can't buy. That yep. is the power of fear, is what he does. Oh, I wonder what that... That must be very important. Um, what do you think of Carbine Falcone in this movie? I really liked him. I really okay. liked him because I wish he was a little bit... Once I read the comics, and I saw what Carmine Falcone looks like in the comics... And he's a lot more, like, built and, you know, kind of younger and... I don't like Carmine Falcone in this movie. I don't... I you like, really? I like the actor. I don't like the way he's portrayed in this movie. And really? And it's, like, my sticking point with it. Well, I think the reason why is because in year one and in Batman Long Halloween, he is designed... To look uh, to look exactly like Marlon Brando in The Godfather, oh, like that is gotcha, that gotcha. is the that is what Falcone looks like. Mm-hmm. You know that that is the model that they went that they went for. That's um, eh, just you being a stickler. Well, <laughs> I just I don't know. To me, it's like he he was he was a bit more suave, right? Yeah, and he had a bit more of that charisma in the comics, like Marlon Brando does in Godfather. Mm-hmm. And I just don't feel that Tom Wilkinson has any of that. Like, and, he just feels more like a brute. And that's why, I, I think that's just personal taste at that point, is I yeah. personally like mob bosses like that. I like those mob bosses that they look like they were enforcers back in the day, and they're just, like, fucking gnarly and shit. I actually um, prefer the... Um, you would have preferred a suave... Well, I actually like, prefer in Dark Knight, where they have uh, Maroney played by Sam Roberts, who's yeah. a lot... Who's a lot more, you know, the, well, the John Gotti type. That would I that like Carmine Falcone in the comic book uh, Long Halloween and Dark Victory, he looks like he can go toe to toe with Batman. Like mm-hmm. he looks like if it came down to it, they could have a physical fight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I guess in that sense I would have preferred 
Falcone would be a little bit more physically imposing than Tom Wilkinson. I mean, in real life, he's not really that important to this story. He's not. There's so many other focuses that it has. Yeah. But I'm saying just as a character, I'm not totally crazy about him. I mean, if it was a, where Falcone was the main villain, then yeah. 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 So so then we flash back forward to uh, to where Bruce and Roz are in this moment. And uh, where Bruce is going to join the League of Shadows. He has taken this weird psychotropic uh, flower, you know, it, he's inhaled this fume from this flower that apparently, like, trips you out and makes you see things that you're afraid of, um, you know, which to him was bats. And by that point, he his training has gone so far that he has kind of become as good as, as Roz has been, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, it feels like this whole thing is taking place in a month. But it's actually, you know, you find out later that Bruce Wayne has actually been gone for seven years. Yeah, I'm from sorry. Gotham City. I'm sorry if I'm laughing. It's just every time I think of the scene where, uh, where Batman, uh, where Batman's tripping out, I think of that Pete Holmes Batman skit where he gets dosed with the same drug. And they're like, what are you afraid of? And he's like, Roombas. <laughs> How do they know where to go? <laughs> I'm sorry about that. But if you guys ever get a chance, check out Pete Holmes Batman on YouTube. That shit's hilarious. <laughs> but, um, yes. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. So yeah, you find out that Batman, I mean Batman, Bruce Wayne has been around for seven years, so he's no longer this kid, you know, he's like, at at this point he's almost 30, he should be almost 30 around that point, so he's no longer, like, you know, he's, he went to Princeton, so it's not like he had a life or he stopped living his life. Like, I think like Angel said, it feels like he was very much this guy that was just kind of going through the motions of life until he can finally find a way to avenge his parents. But, um, yeah, it's not like he's just a kid anymore. He's, you know, he's grown, he's smart, he's, uh, he's becoming, you know, he's laying down the foundation to who he's going to become, you know? And, um, you know, you, you end up on an air, on a tarmac where he, uh, gets picked up by Alfred in a jet mm-hmm. and they're flying back to Gotham city. Oh, well, before, before that happens, really important to note that, you know, when Bruce Wayne destroys the, the temple that oh, the right. league of shadows are, are at where they give you your, your decoy Ra's al Ghul played by Ken Watanabe. Yep. And you think that, you know, this entire time, Ra's al Ghul's dead because in an explosion, even though Bruce Wayne won't actively kill somebody, he will, has absolutely no problem letting it happen. Yeah. Uh, some debris falls down on uh, Ra's al Ghul killing him. <laughs> to me, what's weird too is that Ra's al Ghul, the character, is actually, he's Middle Eastern. And in this, he's actually being portrayed as both an Asian man and a British man yeah. are portraying him, so that's really a weird thing. But. but then it's very ambiguous as to where he's from yeah. later on in the series. Right. But, um, you know, uh, Ducard, who, as we all know, is Ra's al Ghul, he's, uh, you know, during an explosion gets thrown out and he's about to fall off a mountainside. And Bruce Wayne manages to save him last minute before he falls 
and leaves him to be cared for by uh, some people down the village. So he saves his life and then goes back to the tarmac. And that becomes important later on, um, you know, closer towards the end of the story. Uh, but he, he meets Alfred on this tarmac and he's ready to come back to Gotham. And Alfred also reveals to him that he had him declared legally dead because he had been gone for so long. Uh, he looks pretty good for a dead guy. <laughs> um, so he once he's back in Gotham City, um, a lot more of the Batman training continues in that now that he understands how to fight, mm-hmm. now that he's got the discipline down, um, and he's discovered um, in his time with the League of Shadows that even though he's going to go on this crusade, and become a vigilante. Well, he doesn't want to look at himself as a vigilante. Um, he wants to think of himself as like a symbol that's going to fight for justice. A protector. Kill people. Yeah. Right. That's his big thing. He wants everyone to know he will not murder anybody. Which is a big Batman thing in the comics mm-hmm. that a lot of the movies had ignored largely, yeah, right? Because they had no problem letting Batman kill people. <laughs> or at least putting people in positions where they were probably going to die. Yeah, even the campy, colorful Batman Forever has uh, Batman allowing Harvey Two-Face to jump to his doom inside a giant well. He was like, yep, later. <laughs> <laughs> so, Peace, bitch. Yeah, so it's like, you know, this, this is where you really get the code of Batman on mm-hmm. film for the first time. Um... He goes back to Wayne Enterprises, which he no longer has any stock in because he's been gone for so long and he's dead. Yeah. Right? Um, and when he gets there, he decides that he wants to work in the R&D division. So um, they set him up because, you know, he is Bruce Wayne. Uh, they send him down to work with Lucius Fox, played by Morgan Freeman. Woo! So for those of you that don't know who Lucius Fox is... Uh, as far as the comics go, uh, Lucius Fox becomes almost as important as Alfred. Uh, he's the, he's the inventor that creates all of Batman's super cool gadgets. Like, yeah, Bruce Wayne has a big hand in it, but honestly, it's all Lucius, really, that creates a lot of it. And this is another character that, I don't remember if he's OG, like, original content for the movie, and then became a character. Um, who Lucius, Lucius Fox? Fox? Yeah. No, no, because Lucius Fox has been around in like since the animated series. Oh, okay, cool. So he is a comic book character. First. Okay, cool. So he's just the, Nolan is just the first person to feature him in such a big role. Mm-hmm. Like up until now, Lucius Fox was one of the. He's basically Bruce's right hand man at Wayne Enterprises. He runs the business whenever Bruce can't. Yeah, and in this movie specifically, he's the guy that gives pretty much he gives bruce almost everything that he needs to start his crusade like, he's a one-man q branch from james Bond. yeah that's a good way of putting it he's his version of q yeah 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 he gives him he gives him this really cool suit that uh is supposed to be able to protect him against knife and maybe some small arms fire he gives him the cloth that gets turned into a cape that allows Batman to glide. Yeah, which the tech in this movie is all built so that you can feel that he can exist in a real world, right? Yep. Like, the idea is that the suit that he gets 
was supposed to be a suit used for military, mm-hmm. um, but the price tag was going to be $300,000 per person, mm-hmm. and the cost was just too high, so they shut down the project. So all of these R&D devices, inventions that Bruce Wayne uses, are devices that never went into production, mm-hmm. so they don't exist for everyone on a grand scale, but they exist inside of Wayne Enterprises, right? Yep. Um, they... The other thing that you were talking about that this movie introduces that it just, it's what makes me love, it's what made, like, all the stuff that you build up here is why by the time Dark Knight came out in 2008, mm-hmm. I was all the way back yeah. like to, to loving Batman, and I was more obsessed with Batman than ever, mm-hmm. because by that point I was reading comics, like, and I was in the world, um, you know, after this, so I love the idea that, that the cape is a piece of cloth that once you run an electrical current to it like turns into a parachute yeah you know because it just it allows him to jump off of buildings and keep himself from dying and it also takes away an over-reliance from you know the the grappling gun right yeah like the grapple that he would use to not to mention the glider become it, it becomes such a like fan, like the gliding cape becomes such a big part of batman's like gadgets and stuff that it becomes a central like game component in all the Arkham movies. Yeah, I mean Arkham games. Well, it's also you know? it's also if you read the Year One comic, like he uses a glider in the. He's year an one actual comic. glider, though. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly, but that's what I mean. It's like it, it's it's Nolan adapting the points, you know, and it's not a full adaptation, but he's adapting points from the Year One comic book. Totes and um, so yeah. Oh no, yeah. Um, you know the and this is kind of where you lose me a little bit because like i don't know it felt like when i was in high school when i first watched this movie i was okay with it um because i want i was also going through my grim and gritty phase where all i really liked was you know edgy shit mm-hmm. um but yeah it's like now I'm I'm okay with Batman having goofy stuff that works just cause because shut up science you know, and but um I'm like, you know as I as I watch this movie like so it it was funny coming back to this movie right I hadn't seen this movie in a while, and I was like, man. I hate that they tried to make everything so real like part of being Batman is just being goofy and campy, and then I started rewatching it and I was like. The why I like this, like you know, the the montage between him learning how to use the equipment, him recruiting uh, local authorities to help him on on his mission, right? Mm-hmm. Is because it does a really good job of world building. Yeah, and it's something I didn't appreciate unless I saw it in hindsight. Where like going back to what you were saying is that where Bruce came from and begins to where he gets to in Dark Knight Rises. It's it's it does such a good job of building that world to where we get to, mm-hmm. and it lets you appreciate the process. You know well, the entire funny. story. It's funny. My sister has watched this movie as well as I have, and she never was a fan of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just it. There's just too much of this minutia and too much building. Yeah, there's way too much world building that she wasn't really interested in. Yeah, and but she loves Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. But, like, to me, I think the reason why I love this stuff is that <clears throat> a movie as good as Dark Knight cannot exist unless, unless you, you built the world. All, yeah, like, yeah. everything is so 
fucking perfectly established. Mm, give me that world. I'm going to eat it up. Nom, nom, nom. That it's like, that's why the next movie was a movie that still, to this day, people know should have won the Oscar for Best Picture in 2008. But, I mean, also, you, I mean, it's also important to note that you and me eat this shit up because we're huge Batman fans. No, this movie, yes, but if you're talking about Dark Knight. No, no, yeah, Dark Dark Knight. Dark Knight is widely recognized. Uh, I'm referring more to the world building. Like, you and me eat shit. We eat shit when it comes to world building. But it was pretty popular. Like, I mean, this, this is what won people back to Batman as well. It's the reason why... Even though this movie was a small release, you know, compared to Batman movies in the past, mm-hmm. it's the reason why Dark Knight became like a cultural touchstone in 2008. Yeah, like, totally. Like, people had three years to absorb all of this, like, and people like me, got they got to absorb it, they got to be obsessed with it, and mm-hmm. then all the good stuff that was coming out on the next movie is what just brought it up to 20 levels, and then the unfortunate death of Heath Ledger, like, just... It brought the curiosity factor to such a high pitch. Oh, yeah, because people didn't want to watch Dark Knight because you weren't into superhero movies. You would want to watch it just for being Heath Ledger's last film. Spider-Man brought people... Spider-Man and X-Men got people interested in in superhero movies again and in a different kind of superhero movie. Mm -hmm. Batman, the Chris Nolan trilogy, showed you how far you can go with this mm-hmm. and to this day like i just now that we've had an entire decade and a half of superhero movies there's been no movie that comes close to it unfortunately right to dark knight or yeah. to... to to dark knight like there's mm-hmm. a lot of really good like superhero movies and a lot of them have found their groove and black panther's even gonna go into it's even nominated for best picture this year mm-hmm. um, which to me feels kind of like a it feels kind of like the Academy throwing nerds a bone for not putting Dark Knight in, yeah. right, like, ten years ago. Um, so, it's, you know... It's, nerds and social justice warriors, of yeah. which we are both. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm totally down with that. It's, it, you know, it's definitely one of the best movies of the last decade in terms of superhero movies. So. Oh, totally. So, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dog Black Panther. <clears throat> but, you know, again, the world building... Black Panther's also a movie that does great world building. Oh, totally. So it's like... How many people wanted to be from Wakanda after Black Panther, you know? like Yeah, so, you know, I think think that's the key, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and if you're looking at that as the rule, maybe Black... Maybe the sequel to Black Panther is going to be, like, the next great superhero movie that we ever see. Who knows, right? Like, who knows? Uh... Some people think that Infinity War is, is that. I don't love it that much, and I will not get into a DC yeah, Marvel thing. Yeah, we're not getting into that. We'll talk about that later. Let's stay on topic. <laughs> so in this, so in this movie, the the thing about this movie is that it feels like for the first hour or forty five minutes to an hour, take off like a fucking freight train. Between the time jumps and between just like a large sequence of stuff happening, because even here after Batman gets all his gadgets. Um, the first thing he does is he takes out Carmine Falcone's operations down uh, down on the docks, right? Which he does with relative ease. Right. And and he the last part of his tech that he gets before he puts on the costume for the first time is the Batmobile. Oh yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is the Tumblr. The right? Tumblr. And I had seen pictures of this online. Back in 04, when mm. I was still nerding it up a little bit on the sites, I did see what this thing looked like. Um, Give me that nerd shit. It was a good, smart choice that they decided to make it look like a tank. 
Mm-hmm. Because that makes sense, right? It's very just... Dark Knight Returns, and that's why so many nerds were okay with it. Yeah. And it also, like, at this time, like, you know, for us who were growing up, like you and I who were young, like, the war, the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq were coming up. Yep. So a lot of, like, you know, even though the 90s were a time where we didn't really have a lot of military operation, we were seeing, like, war, you know, you know, war machines yep. um, on television, like, weekly. Like, it was just all over It was becoming right? normal. Yeah, yeah, it was accepted. So, so and I think, also, when, by the time you get to Dark Knight, I, I, I want us to do Dark Knight later. I don't want to jump from Batman Begins into Dark Knight, like, as a review. Um, I think we should review that movie later, and I think it may be like a five-hour episode if we really get to talk about it. Shit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, but you know, regardless, it's just it was it was the right time for all of this. Yeah. And the other uh, thing that they do that's kind of a Batman Year One thing is they have him uh, meet Jim Gordon or meet him again since the flashback, right? Yeah. Because when he's a kid. After Joe Chill shoots his parents, they, they cut to him in the Gotham Police Department. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, beat cop Jim Gordon comes up to him and, and puts his jacket over, over Bruce Wayne. Ah, uh, young hero cop, Jim Gordon, sir. <laughs> and they bring, and and they also bring all of that back in the third, in the third Batman movie. Yeah. Too. Oh my gosh, shut up, Where's, I was crying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you shut your mouth, I'm going to cry right now. <laughs> So it's 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 a it's a big moment uh, where he's meeting Bruce Wayne for the first time, um, but you know Bruce remembers him all these years later. Mm-hmm. So when he this is like the proto Batman because he doesn't even have the mask or cowl or anything yet. He's got a big ski mask. Yeah, all he's doing is wearing the suit and he's got a ski mask. Yeah, uh, to hide his identity because the idea is that he doesn't. You know, the, the idea is that if he goes out as himself. That it's going to put all the people he loves in danger. And plus, they're just going to shoot him and no one's going to do anything. No one's going to care about a dead Bruce Wayne. They just thought he was dead the past, like, seven years. So the idea is that he wants to become a legend. Uh, He wants to become a symbol for justice. And he wants to be something criminals can fear. (laughs) And also because if he's not just a human being, but if he's something more, if he does get killed... Then anyone else could be Batman later on in the world, right? Like that is that is it's it's a theme that that comes back again in the third movie as well, right? This is a theme that comes out later that same year when V for Vendetta came yeah, out. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, he 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 meets him and he tells him to watch for his sign. Yeah, um, and he's like, "What? What could that possibly mean?" And then, uh, you know. Comes the night that Batman finally makes his debut and he Which takes, takes down. an entire hour, by the way. Yeah, before and you even see Batman. And I think and I think the reason why people like They're my just sister, fucking teasing you, dog. I think the reason why people like my sister have such a hard time watching the entire movie is because that first half, like and it needs to be there. Yeah. Like, it needs to exist. You need to have this build up. So that by the time you get there, you're like, let's fucking do this. I'm so fucking hyped. You're just sitting there like with full chub nerd rager on. And you're just like, I want to see Batman. So when he does come, they do a very horror movie kind of. And he shows up again and mm-hmm. like just fucking grabs guys and pulls them into the darkness. You're rooting for the serial killer, kids. <laughs> this time you want him to win. 
But um, I love that part. I love the stalking that he does, and I because or as they call it in the Arkham games, when the Predator sequences. The, the combat, yeah. the actual fight scenes compared to... And I remember when we watched it, you mentioned how, like, the best Batman fight scene will always be the warehouse, like, against Luther's, Luthor's goons in Batman vs. Superman. Yeah. And I think it's because I'm so... I love that scene so much, and I go back to this, where I'm just like... You don't see what's going... You know shit's happening, but you can't see it. Yeah. It's really weird how they chose to film the action scenes in Yeah, this and I think it was a build-up. It was kind of like a build-up to finally show you him. Because mm-hmm. you don't get to see him until he pulls Falcone out of the car and says the I, Batman line. Yeah. Before he, like, headbutts him and knocks him out. But it's like... But, yeah, this movie, the one real ding that I have on it, like, the big knock on it, besides, you know, the fact that I'm not crazy about how they do Falcone in this movie. Yeah. The action isn't that great. It is not. Um, The fight scenes are way too jittery. They cut way too much. You know what they feel like? The Bourne series fight scenes. It was very... And that style was very popular at the time, right? Fucking shaky-ass cameras, yeah. It felt like something out of a music video where you weren't really... Like, almost to the point where it's like... God, is that really Christian Bale? Or is that a stuntman doing all of that stuff? Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> so, um, and at this time, it's good to it's good to note that this is where we really see Christian Bale as Batman. And Christian Bale, I had never seen on film before this movie came out. Right? Yeah. And the movie he does before this, more famously that I didn't see until I was like three years into college, right, was The Machinist. And uh, he is so skinny and emaciated in that movie, right? Like, yeah. Like, he was so tiny, and that is the movie he makes right before this. So, um, and I know why you're laughing, because <laughs> I, I told you the story while we were watching this. So, so famous story from this movie is that, because it is the movie he made after The Machinist, uh, Kristen Bale was like 100 pounds... And he needed to bulk up once he became Batman. Oh, he got bulky already. <laughs> and if you see certain parts in this movie where his face looks like it doesn't fit in the bat mask, <laughs> it's because initially once he had gained all of his weight back from the machinist, because there's a, there's a, a scene in the machinist at the very end that's supposed to be a flashback before he gets super skinny. Yeah, where he is chunky, like he is. He is chunked up now, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think you know, and, th- and that was right before he started shooting this. And he, you know, he had gotten really big, and he didn't really like not and not like muscular big, just big, big. big. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I had told Javier that that on one of the uh, YouTube videos or one of the special features, <laughs> he gets on set one day, and <laughs> somebody goes, "Bloody hell, are we shooting Batman or Fat Man?" <laughs> You know, Christian Bale did have to like lose more weight and bulk and just kind of tone more than he had when he first showed up. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that, like now thinking about it, maybe that is one of the reasons why they had to shoot some of the fight scenes like this. Yeah, because he was a little chunky at the time. <laughs> that and and this bat suit for as much as I love it, I really love this bat suit. Yeah. I think it's awesome. And they just right. and they just explain it so well and they set it up so well that it's really great when you see it. But mm-hmm. I will say this, this bat suit looks so like 
how could the guy move in this thing, right? Oh, yeah, he looks super stiff. <laughs> like, like, he looks like an action figure. <laughs> <laughs> like, he looks like a robot. Yeah. Like, and they totally fix this in Dark Knight when they give him a completely different outfit. And they, have, <laughs> they put that in the story as to why he gets into another outfit. Yeah. Right? So, um, again, this is perfect for the movie that we're getting this week. Um, is, it, you know, this outfit that he has. Oh, I think it's awesome. Um, so, yeah, I mean, once we get into there, that's where he starts showing Rachel, who is now the district attorney in Gotham City. You was know, she? I thought she was... Assistant district Assistant, attorney. okay, yeah. And then uh, her boss dies, so she becomes the district attorney. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so she's, you know, uh, he gives them all the leverage that they need to put Falcone in prison. Yep. Which no one has been able to do for a long time, but because Batman is finally Batman, you know, uh, he's able to do this. And... Um, you know, that's where we start getting more and more. And we've been seeing him in and out of the story, but that's where we really start getting more of uh, Cillian Murphy as Scarecrow. And uh, this is a really interesting... It's an interesting way that they decided to portray Scarecrow. Like, it, it to me, it felt always incomplete. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like... I was like, oh, it's Scarecrow. You know, here's the mask, and eventually he's going to get into full costume. He does nah. not get into full costume here. Uh, the idea behind the Scarecrow thing is that it's only a mask that's supposed to scare the shit out of inmates after he's already poisoned them with his uh, with his gas. Which he's supposed to be a psychologist, and it's like he's doing this at at Arkham, mm-hmm. and it's like no one ever questioned whether it was a good idea for him to be scaring the shit. Mind you, no one knows about the gas. Right, but they just still, know that he's performing experiments. But still, no one wondered why he, like, no one questioned the fact that he was scaring the ever-loving shit out of inmates with this stupid-looking <laughs> burlap sack. Um, Man, God. So, so Cillian Murphy actually auditioned for Batman in this yeah. movie. And uh, apparently he was very close to getting the part. That would have been weird. It would have been really, been weird. really weird. He has really weird eyes to me. Like I know I was reading somewhere that uh, Chris Nolan was super obsessed with his eyes because they're so fucking blue. Mm-hmm. And he would look for dumbass reasons for him to take his glasses off so he can focus on his eyes. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he had a weird like sexual attraction to Cillian Murphy's <laughs> eyes. Well, Don't Cillian, quote me, but Cillian it's facts. Murphy I had only seen at that point. I think the only other thing he was in was 28 Days Later, right? Like, I mean, he was good. Was Red Eye before or after this? I think it was after. Oh, yeah, and that movie sucked. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, know, 28 Days Later. I love 28 Days Later, right? Like, yeah. It's a good movie um, for me. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I just remembered one time when we went to go watch some movie, you and our other cousin went to watch 28 Days Later. And then when you came back, you're like, I saw Silly Murphy's dick. <laughs> yeah. So, so Cillian Murphy is uh, ends up not being Batman, but I guess Nolan liked him so much that he brings him in to play Scarecrow. Which I mean, I was I was cool with him. I think he does a fantastic yeah, job great. as Scarecrow. Um, and eventually, he does actually very briefly show up in c- full costume, quote unquote, quote unquote. Um, at the end, when you know when the evil plan is, has come up, and this is where you start finding out what the evil plot is, yeah. and that is that Scarecrow is working for a big bad, and the big bad is going to come to Gotham City, and what they're doing is they're they're importing drugs for Falcone, but these drugs are you know there's a lot of extra stuff that comes in it, 
and some of it is the scarecrow gas. Yep. Which you come to find out is a weaponized version of the flower that Bruce Wayne uses when he's out in Eastern Asia, right? Yep. So at this point, this is when the movie really takes off for me. Because this is where it becomes like an hour long, hour and a half long 60s Batman episode. And I, this is the stupid, goofy shit that I live for when it comes to Batman. It's a stupid plot to destroy the city. And this is the shit I love. Yeah, so it's, you know, there's a there's a device that disappears from Wayne Enterprises. We call it the MacGuffin. Yeah. Well, they call it a microwave emitter. Which, you know, to me, it's like... Y'all are just putting science terms together. (laughs) That's like how Marvel puts quantum in front of everything to make it (laughs) science-y. So the idea behind this device is that it takes all the water in, like, you know, in an enemy's, like, you know, like, area. So let's say the idea is that it was supposed to be a war weapon. And that you were going to go into a village, you would evaporate all the water supply in whatever area there was. So it's kind of like fighting terrorists, right? Like so it makes it way easier to kill brown people when they have no water. That's what it feels like. Yeah, right? like, like that, that was the whole point. And it's funny, like, I'd listened to another podcast that I, you know, I don't want to mention it because I don't know if I'm allowed to. But I do listen to another podcast no where, where, they, where they talk about, um, you know, how one of the hosts thought it was an allegory for 9-11. Which to me, I don't, I never fully got that, and I think Dark Knight is a lot more. Oh yeah, it's a lot more of an allegory for the war on terror, right? Um, but or you know, it's more our militarized. Like if I really want to talk about allegory, it's our militarized response to terror. Exactly. And our over, well, maybe Dark Knight would be our over response to terror. Yeah, but we yeah. can go into that later. Yeah, it's not. It's so it's 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 um. It's the only thing that's really ever had me thinking about that. Um, you know, that that's what it does feel like. It feels like you're going to use something in another part of the world where you're going to cruelly dispose of people. And and why that does kind of fit in in this movie is because at this time, there was a lot of talk uh, in the public consciousness about how uh, moral it was for us to be torturing people overseas. Oh, that's right. This was around the same time as Abu Ghraib, huh? Yeah, so it's, you know, that's 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 an interesting thing to note and does make it feel like a movie of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point of, of this device is that uh, Scarecrow and his, you know, and Falcone's man and all these criminals have been dumping this Scarecrow, uh, scarecrow uh, venom or, or poison into Gas, the water yeah, supply. Or, yeah. And the idea is that this thing is supposed to, you know, make it all evaporate so that people have to breathe it in the way Bruce Wayne breathed it in. But why? Why are they trying to make people breathe it in? Why, I ask you as I shake my fist at the heavens. So, so uh, you know, we get this scene uh, where uh, Batman goes to find these drugs. Mm-hmm. First, he, like, tortures the Deadwood guy who was, you know, who... Who I only oh Flass yeah. yeah he tortures Flass, who yeah he's from Deadwood he's from a lot of shit yeah he's in he's in for, my he's in my guilty favorite Fast and Furious movie Too Fast yeah. Too Furious you shut up that's the only good one we're gonna fucking review that movie <laughs> oh one day I swear to fucking God <laughs> let's do it tonight <laughs> <laughs> so so he's in that movie too like once you see the actor like you know who he is he was in uh i think he was bobby in sons of anarchy for my sons of anarchy fans which apparently is everybody <laughs> um he ends up torturing him and then is that when he goes to the apartment yeah yeah so he, he gives up this apartment batman gets there and lo and behold 
he finds Scarecrow and a bunch of henchmen trying to burn the place down. They're trying to torch the apartment. And Batman gets exposed to the Scarecrow gas. Yeah. And immediately starts seeing bats and he starts hallucinating. And he gets the ever-loving shit beaten out of him by the goons and Scarecrow. And mm-hmm. Scarecrow ends up setting him on a fire before he kicks him out of the building. Or kicks him out of a window. Oh, interestingly enough, before he even ends up in this apartment, he sees a young boy. Oh, yeah. Who's watching him, who he hands the goggles to. Fucking Joffrey. Yeah, that kid ends up being King Joffrey from Game of Thrones. Man, dude. fuck that kid. <laughs> Batman should have fucking roundhoused his ass. <laughs> uh, so, you know, he, he is poisoned by it. He starts hallucinating. And uh, he pulls out a phone and he calls Alfred. And- well, it's so bizarre like this whole episode i mean this whole episode this whole like it does feel like mini like these these feel like mini missions yeah like this mission this case batman. whatever you want to call it it feels like so out of place like if you're a batman fan and you've seen like all the shit he can do it you you're you kind of feel for him that he's finally encountered something he couldn't overcome and he had to call alfred to come bail him out well it's a very year one thing yeah right? like because year one when he starts uh, going out as Batman, like his first few fights, he gets he the gets fucked up. Shit beat yeah. out of him. Uh, his first night before he even puts on the Batman costume, he gets stabbed. Yeah. So it's like he almost bleeds to death. And like, then he gets stabbed again, like the very <laughs> next mission. Yeah, like it is. It is. You know, it it so it's such a good. You know, just reference to those first few Batman adventures that he has. Where he's just a fuck up. And what I love in Batman Year One is he calls himself stupid amateur. And, like, that's his, that's what, anytime he fucks up, that's what he always calls himself. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, like, it's kind of, if you're a fan of Batman, it's, it's a really interesting scene because you're so used to seeing Batman in control. And being that dude and being a badass, and suddenly he's not. And it's like, wow, it's kind of weird to see him not be that Batman we we are all used to. It introduces an idea that follows the entire series that I think is awesome because no other no no because no other version of Batman does this, and that's the idea that Batman is not a single person. Yep. Like he is in these Dark Knight in the Dark Knight trilogy, Batman is only able to be Batman because of the people around him. Mm-hmm. So Gordon is part of why he's Batman. Alfred is part of the reason why he's Batman. Lucius is part of the reason why he's Batman. Yep. Um, Harvey Dent is part of the reason why he's Batman. John Blake in the third one, like all these guys who are the support system for Batman. There, so so Bruce Wayne might be the one putting on the costume, but they are all Batman Inc. And it, it's really cool because it, a bunch of movies follow this and shows follow this after. Yeah. Iron Man does it with yep. Tony Stark, Happy, uh, yep. Pepper Potts. Uh, what's the other one I was thinking? Ant Man does it because yep. of all of Scott Lang's friends and Hank Pym. And uh, Hope uh, Van Dyne, mostly because I just watched uh, Ant-Man and Wasp. You should watch it. It's really good. Um, Arrow, your favorite show in the goddamn world. Flash. You oversell how much I like it. Yeah, I mean, I also fell off a lot. (laughs) But yeah, you know, the whole Team Arrow being a fucking internet joke that turned into making it onto the show. Marvel's Daredevil. Marvel's Daredevil does it. Luke Cage, no, he's kind of on his own. 
he's kind of on his own. Kind of. Um, but Jessica Jones did it. Yeah. Um, so but it's it's it. This movie introduces something that is part of that is part of uh, superhero movies forever. Because even Black Panther does it, right? Yeah. Black, Black Panther, Panther has Shuri is like is the one who's supplying him with tech. Okoye um, is his backup. Yeah. I forgot what his girlfriend's name was. Yeah. So it's like it, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that comes from this movie, and I think that's the awesome thing that this movie introduces, right? Yep. So he he's apparently passed out and goes into a coma for two days. He sees Roombas for two days. <laughs> and uh, he wakes up and Alfred tells him he was out for two days. Lucius shows up and it looks like he has created the antidote to whatever this toxin is. I got your drugs, Mr. Way. <laughs> so, um, you know, he is apparently woken up in the afternoon on his birthday uh, Rachel Rachel Dawes conveniently comes to his front door mm-hmm. and uh, gives him a gift, which I guess is like a uh, arrowhead. That's... It was the rock they were fighting over when they were kids. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like bringing it all the way back to the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. and reminding you that you know these are the same two kids from the beginning. Um, where and that's where you find out that you know that that the district attorney was you know kidnapped and killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you see it, you see him being killed when he's investigating that missing uh, Wayne Tech uh, microwave device, right? Yep. Um, so she is going to go to Arkham, and she's going to go, uh, I guess, investigate Carmine Falcone, because after Batman has arrested him, uh, Jonathan Crane moves him into Arkham Asylum, saying that she he's wants, gone crazy. Does she want to interrogate him? She wants to... In- or she wants to investigate what happened to him, right? right. Yeah. Right. Because, because that yeah, that's what I would... Because he's a, not supposed to be in Arkham. Yeah, he's not supposed to be there. He's, he's supposed, supposed to be, to be a black gate. Yeah. yeah. So it's... So at that point... Uh, I don't think... Uh, I don't think she goes... She goes by herself. And she tells... Uh, she tells Bruce that, you know, not... You know, not all of us can have lavish parties and stuff. Yeah. And she drives away. So then he suits up and goes to meet her out. And, you know, he's he's pretty much just keeping a watchful eye over her. And Scarecrow, um, or I'm sorry, Jonathan Crane at this point, he hasn't put on the mask to reveal himself as Scarecrow, at least to, uh, to you know, Rachel Dawes. But um, he starts, like, ca- catching on, or he starts figuring that she's catching on to something being weird. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, I got spit in the wrong place. <coughs> oh, okay, I'm fine. You can just edit that out. <laughs> but yeah, so he starts catching, or he starts thinking that she's catching on to what is going on. So he ends up, you know, revealing his plan as she's trying to run away. He gasses her. So, you know, we we get taken and we see all these we see these bad guys dumping all their chemicals and the drugs into the water supply. And then an unexpected guest comes along and Batman is ready to fuck some bad guys up. So we get to see this weird demon Batman. Yeah. Yeah. When after he poisons himself, yeah. After. So so Scarecrow tries to poison Batman again, but he ends up make Batman ends up uh, poisoning Scarecrow, and Scarecrow starts hallucinating 
Batman is this weird bat demon, and he looks so weird and cool, and I wish he would come back at some point in the <laughs> series, but he never does. But during that time, he this is when Scarecrow admits that Ra's al Ghul, right, is the mastermind of everything, yeah. to which Batman tells him... Ra's al Ghul is dead. In Arkham Asylum, for Batman to escape and to take Rachel with him, he needs to create a distraction because Gotham PD is waiting for him outside of Arkham Asylum. Uh -huh. So to do that, he pulls from his boot oh, a remote-controlled okay. sonar device. And this is straight from year one. This is straight from year one, yeah. And I saw the movie before I read year one, so like when I finally read it, I was like, oh wow, this is where it came from. Like This movie, it is a fucking comic book yeah like it 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 brought all the real batman stuff from comic books into movies yeah and that's what set this movie apart from every other batman movie before that mm -hmm. was that this is where they finally introduced like all the stuff from the comic books every other movie were they were movies using batman characters this was a batman movie yeah if that makes any sense yeah exactly and I love that scene, and I love that that's now a thing, is that any video game you play or anything about Batman, now he will have the sonic emitter so that he can use it to call bats. Yeah. And it was just so cool. It was just so fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, if you got, even if you want to like just check it out on YouTube, just check out Batman Begins Bat Scene. It's so good. <laughs> so at this point, Rachel is freaking out. We need to get her out. And we get one of the greatest superhero, like, definitely one of the greatest Batmobile scenes in my opinion. <laughs> but I think it's just one of the, like, defining moments in a superhero movie. Is this chase scene where Gotham PD is trying to stop Batman in his fucking tank? <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, and they do it in, in in Tim Burton's Batman like as well. They have a scene where he escapes with Vicky Vale in the Batmobile, mm -hmm. and uh, this kind of just reminds me of that a lot. Um, yeah, but again, yeah, it shows you all the things that the, that the Tumblr Batmobile can do. Yeah, uh, Batman like has this weird. It has this weird apparatus where it like. Where it like angles him under the for some reason yeah for some so reason he, he has to go <laughs> yeah like the guns are under the driver's seat so he has to go down there to shoot things I mean it's really cool and like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of cool scene like there's a lot of cool parts like Batman causes a lot of property damage yeah. and something you kept pointing out is you get a lot of the fun like police banter in this uh, I. I remember calling it ridiculous. You're like, it was banter. I wouldn't say it was fun. <laughs> yeah. I like the fun banter. It's I stupid. Say it was funny or fun. It's I thought it was funny. Fuck you. Alright, well, it was alright. Shut up. I'm gonna fight you. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's, you get the police officer banter. It was cheesy. I'm sorry. I'm dying on this hill, all right? That's fine. It's, it's is, cheesy, and I live for that shit. It's totally fine. Um, I think... This is a really good Batmobile chase. I think what they do in Dark Knight is better. Man, shut up. <laughs> but I still think it's pretty good. It's cool. I um, really... I really. Uh... And also, one of the neat things is that you also have guaranteed that Batman... That, that just anyone cannot come into the Batcave. Oh, yeah. Because to get there, like, you have... The Batmobile has... A, has like, it shoots itself across, like... 
you know, this this chasm into It turns into a missile and has to go over a ramp to get but there. But it's funny because they even explain that though, right? Like, yeah. Because like even Lucius tells him when he first sees the Batmobile, he said the point is that this was supposed to be able to go over a river yeah. so that they could tow cable. That's right, yeah. So that like soldiers would be able to walk across it in areas that they can get to. So these are all war weapons. Yeah, right? like again, the militarization of Batman. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point, they... They're, uh, they get there, or Bruce gets there right in time for his party, so he tells Alfred to make sure that Rachel gets home home and that she gets a dose of the antidote so that she can be okay. So he goes up to his party, and it's supposed to be, like, all these rich, high-society types from Gotham. And a lot of Bruce's parents' friends, and he, you know, he's... He he. This isn't his world. He doesn't feel at home. No, but, the only people that he has like a real conversation. The only person he has a real conversation with is Lucius. Yeah, who and is apparently fired after this weapon was kidnapped. Right. Even so, the well stolen. Stolen. Sorry. This <laughs> <laughs> weapon was stolen. Uh, Lucius ends up getting fired from Wayne Enterprises. Which it wasn't by, even his fault. He didn't uh, even know the weapon was being shipped by but... the CEO, Mr. Earl, who is played by Rutger Hauer, who you know who I remember from Blade Runner. So it, it, my understanding is that uh, Chris Nolan made the entire cast and crew watch Blade Runner before they started shooting the movie, mm-hmm. and then after the movie was over, he said, "This is how I want to make Batman." And everyone's like, "Okay." Yeah. So it's like it's 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 the reason why this movie does feel a lot like Blade Runner. Yeah, I can see that. It's also the reason why after this movie, I love Blade Runner more than I ever had before. Like mm-hmm. I'd seen it before and fell asleep, and I was like, "This is really boring." Because you're probably a kid. Yeah. yeah. Then after Batman Begins, it's like this is great. I need to rewatch that movie. It's really, but, it's really, I high recommend for me. Um, but was it? Um, so yeah, as the party continues, right? Um, Bruce runs into this woman who's like, "Oh, Bruce, you have to meet this man." What'd you say your name was? Razal Ghul, and he was like, "What the hell?" And when he turns around. Good old Henry Ducart, Liam Neeson is standing in front of him. So this was the big mess direct I spoiled at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. But honestly, if you're if you're if you're listening to this, you already watched the fucking movie. Yeah, and chances this, are. And this also like pokes fun at the idea because the idea in this in this world is that Razel Ghul, The reason why he's been around for so long is that instead of being a name, it's a title. Yep. And they carry that into Arrow on CW as well, mm-hmm. where they kind of do that. Um, so anyone yeah. can become Ra's al Ghul. Exactly. It becomes a timeless character. And that's why he, you know, he kind of like comes up and says, are his methods supernatural? Yeah. And then that's when Bruce Wayne says, or cheap parlor tricks to conceal your true identity. Ooh, it's that's really something he said at the beginning! <laughs> it, 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 it's there, the, 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 you know, banter between uh it's a very tense. Bruce Wayne is really good. I think they did a really good job of and that and I'll give the Nolan movies a lot of props for this, is he's really good at creating these scenes of high tension in very otherwise like low tension situations. You know what this movie you know what this series does so great? Chris Nolan understands guy relationships. Yeah, when like, two dudes are trying to alpha each other. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, like, the ability to write male relationships 
where guys care about each other. Oh, I see what like, you're saying. And they help each like there's just there's a authenticity to it. Um that, that it's hard to really capture. Like his relationship with Gordon is strong. Yeah. His relationship with Alfred is strong. His relationship with Lucius is strong. The relationship he has with Roz is really yeah. strong. I thought in the- Dark Knight the relationship he has with Harvey is great. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the relationship that that Bruce Wayne has with John Blake in the third movie Very is also good, yeah. really amazing. Like he is just able to write guy relationships. <laughs> well, what I mean is that like this scene very tense, yeah, very tense at a party. You know, so each one of them knows who the other is. They can't talk about it, which is very, a common superhero trope. Very the party scene. Very thing. Uh, they do the same thing in Arrow with Deathstroke and uh, and Oliver when they're at his mom, at Oliver's mom's house, yeah. right? And then they do the same thing where, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on with it just being them talking. The same thing happens in Dark Knight in the interrogation scene when Batman's talking to Joker. So much happens to develop these two characters with nothing, like, no actual action happening, you know? So I really am a huge fan of their interactions. And essentially, Ross says, you know... We can either kill you and these people or just kill you. Mm. Well, no, they're going to destroy the city. Well, no, he says that. But, I mean, at this point, he he tells him, you know, whether you want to stop us with these people in front of you or not, that's up to you. So, pretty much, he threatens the people in the crowd. Or he he threatens the partygoers. To which Bruce shoos him away by being a total uber dick. Talking about how they're all just there because of his money and he wants them to leave and he's tired of them. And everyone is like, oh, Bruce, you're such a fucking asshole. Even though they don't know how fucking much of a bro he is. Well, that's the thing, too. The other thing with this with this movie is that in Bruce Wayne, I feel like the other Batman movies before Nolan, they tried to make Bruce Wayne so likable. And he's not. And, like and, He's and, supposed and, to be an asshole. Yeah, and I think that's the great thing that that this movie does is that it shows that look if you have a guy who's rich and who's really like you know a philanthropist and everybody loves him and stuff like that like people are going to get wise to the fact that he's batman very quickly yeah and the idea is that batman is who he really is like this movie posits the fact that batman is who he really is and bruce wayne is the act that he puts yep. up and katie holmes calls it out at the end of the movie as yep. well right so um so yeah he's not afraid to 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 He's a total dick, kicks everyone everyone out, out for their own safety, right? Um, Meanwhile, the League of Shadows starts tearing his house apart, setting it on fire, with Ra's al Ghul saying, a house for a house, it's only fair. And that leads to them having this fight where, again, call back to the training, where uh, Ra's tells him he he still hasn't learned to mind his own surroundings, and a burning beam lands on him. So going back to uh, the you know Bruce Wayne's childhood home getting burned <laughs> to the yeah, ground, which is, it's rough, right? It like, is. This, like this movie gives makes you care about him so much that the fact that he's watching his house burn down, mm-hmm. and also the music, like the music was as done, you watch it burn, yeah, yeah. So like this movie, it changed the way we heard Batman music mm-hmm. because the original series was the fucking Danny Elfman. And Elliot Goldenthal, who did, you know, who does, uh, he does the second two movies. Yeah. And Danny Elfman did the first two. 
and both of them are big. They're big. They've got horns, lots mm-hmm. of strings. Like it is this giant. Like you know, it's just it, it's. It sounds like a Chris Nolan movie. <laughs> No, is, no, 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 the original Batman Oh, you're talking series. about the original one. Yeah, 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 yeah no, yeah. it's like a lot of that was crazy. And, I, I, and, and like, you know, it's very iconic. And this movie didn't really have an iconic Batman theme, per se. Um, what The way I like to think about it is, uh, like, I know we, when we talked about Halloween and we talked about John Carpenter, like, one of the things that Carpenter always talks about uh, is that a lot of the times when he's writing scores for his movies... He doesn't really want it to overpower what's happening on the screen. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, like, he said he likes to think of his as the music in his movies as carpet. Oh, uh, okay. You know, in that, like, it's something that you do notice when you go into a room, but it's not what you focus on. It's not overpowering, and but it's there. And that's what this score has yeah. made me think about. And it was done by two composers. Okay. Uh, one of them, James Newton Howard, who I, I think the only movie that I had seen that... They really remembered his music in is Sixth Sense, The Sixth Sense, mm-hmm. and uh, Hans Zimmer, like you know. Had oh, done, Hans! He had done some scores in the nineties, and he did this score to Hannibal. Uh, didn't the he 2001 do a one movie? And that's why didn't he do a bunch of fucking yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris uh, Nolan movies after this? Get a sworn he did. Yeah, he does yeah. everything, and and he even does he does the score to Batman uh, v Superman yeah. in Junkie XL. So so he sticks around. Um, and he, you know, he also uh, created the awesome Wonder Woman score. That's right, yeah. Which we will all love forever. And I do like his Superman stuff. It's, it's good, like, you know. It's, it's just like, good. It's fucking uh, Yeah, like Hans Zimmer, <laughs> Hans Zimmer sticks around and does a really good job. But the fact that this movie had two composers and that both of them had different focuses. One of them did the Bruce Wayne scenes and the other one did Batman That's scenes. That's really cool. Is that it's just, it was a really neat new approach for the music in Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, but the music from James Newton Howard is so good and so dramatic as the house is burning down that, like, it gets to you a little bit. Yeah. You know, Alfred comes and saves him, um, and they take the elevator down to the Batcave. Yeah. Which, you know, which in this universe, they posit the fact that it was literally underground bunkers yep. that were in his family since the time of the Underground Railroad mm-hmm. and that they used it to to hide, uh, you know, um, people who were fleeing to the north. So, yeah, pretty much escaped slaves. The Waynes helped him. So even more, like, why the... Of course they are, because the Waynes are all amazing people, except yeah. for Bruce, who's a total fucking dick. Yeah, it's... And, and I don't know, it's, just, it's one of those things that you wouldn't do now. But it fits fine for the universe at yeah. the time where it was coming out. You need to have a reason why this house has a, a, a cave. cave system under it yeah. and why it's maintained. I right. think that's the big part of it. Because at this point... I like the steampunk elevator. Yeah, like it's very much like an old-timey like an old elevator. There's no computers down there. There's no yeah. bat sensors. All there is is literally Batman's workstation where he's creating... Like, the Batarangs and where he's, like, working on creating his mask and stuff like that. Like, there's nothing down here that's of yeah. note. Yeah. You know? You're just like, man, this is the most bare-bones Batcave ever. That we've ever seen, yeah. And it's interesting because it feels like every other movie has a Batcave scene except for this one. Yeah. And, like, this... And uh, with good reason, you know? He has nothing there. It's more like a storage basement. Mm-hmm. 
So at this point, Batman has to suit up and he has to go. And here comes my favorite. This is where, where this is the shit I live for. Big goofy destroy the city plots, baby. <laughs> yeah. So all the inmates get freed from Arkham. Yep. Because Roz like has infiltrated like a lot of the a lot of the people in Arkham. Oh shit! Sorry. It's really important to note that Roz actually gives an explanation as to why Gotham was even in a depression to begin with. Oh yeah. So, sorry, I just remembered this part. So there is so Roz mentions how they used force to destroy civilizations before. This time with Gotham, they used economics. So they manufactured the depression yep. that caused you know everyone to fr- lose their jobs and 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 pretty much lose their livelihoods, right? But what they didn't account for was Bruce Wayne's parents being, and their great philanthropy. Being amazing people and saying that it was not only their phil- uh, their philanthropy but also their deaths that catalyzed the city to continue to move forward regardless. Right. And and in in the comics, like it is very canon that Bruce Wayne, like, that Bruce Wayne's father did not run Wayne Enterprises. No, not at he all. He had people running it, but he, he was a doctor. He was. And he, you know, and he, you know, helped people in hospitals. Like, to the point where in Long Halloween, like, they, or Dark Victory, one of the two, you get a flashback where young Carmine Falcone is actually uh, serviced by Thomas Wayne. And he saves his life. Yeah. And I that think that's, it's Long Halloween. He's, yeah. Uh, Thomas Wayne saves uh, young Carmine. Right. So. Um, and it and it's so... It's so interesting. It's so cool. It's an added depth to it because, one, it tells you the reach of the League of Shadows. And it gives, it, it gives uh, that extra reason why Bruce needs to hate Roz. Yeah. It's not just an ideological difference. It's the fact that his... Through direct or indirect action, co- created the situation was the catalyst as to the death of his parents. Yeah, and again, going back to the whole theme of this movie, it's not just about what his parents were to him; it's what they represented to the city of Gotham. Right. So it was it was really cool. I really like. So that. That in many ways, in many ways, he really does become what his family was. To Gotham, when he becomes Batman, it's just mm-hmm. no one will ever know about. No it. one can know. Yeah. No one can that's, ever know like about that's, it. That's the that's the you know the kind of uh, surprise about it. Yep, and that's why he's the Dark Knight. <laughs> but and, um, and you know, so they put this microwave device onto the train system, which is introduced in the very beginning of the movie mm-hmm. when Bruce is being taken to the opera, right? Which the Wayne family, I think, paid for, right? Yeah, they, they and it's, created and it's it. This and it's this crazy sci-fi movie uh train system like elevated trains that run on a single rail yeah and they just they look like something from an alternate universe right like mm-hmm. it just it looks like something for, it looks very art like deco yeah and uh it's, it's it looks very blade runnery like yeah. Like and and, they, and it's funny because it never it never really comes back. Like mm-hmm. you, there are scenes in Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, the exterior shots of the buildings, where if you look down under at the side of the buildings, you will still see those old trains there. Yeah, but they never focus on it again in any of the other movies. Well, I think it was cool that they picked Chicago because I think Chicago is the only one of the few cities in the U.S. that's big enough and still runs an above ground train system. Yeah. So, 
you know, uh, based on how this movie ends, you can make an argument as to why they don't focus on the trains anymore. Mm-hmm. But the trains are really weird because they all... Well, they're, it's not that they're weird. It's just like... I was going to say they have no rhyme or reason to their to the directions they come out in, but they do. Because it leads... All, all trains lead back to Wayne Tower in yeah. the middle of Gotham City. So, during... And Lucius Fox helped him put the train together. Like, yeah. he, he drops a line in it. And it's like one of those things where the idea was it's cheap public transportation, so it was going to help people during the Depression. Yep. And it was going to allow them to get to work, right? Yep. So, So they put the train on, or I'm sorry, they put the microwave emitter on this train, and as it runs, it is... Uh, destroying like it's it's just evaporating it's evaporating all the water the hallucinogenic water into vapor as it passes by destroying the city or destroying the pipelines and if it gets the central hub oh my god i fucking love this shit when it, if it gets the central hub <laughs> it's all gonna blow it's all gonna blow <laughs> that was that's that line sold this stupid villain plot to me i was like oh my god he needs to get there now <laughs> But this is, you know, like I was telling Angel when I first watched this movie, I, like, this is, you know, this is the type of stupid supervillain shit you see in Batman the Animated Series, the the shit you would see in 60s Batman, and I, this, this is the goofy, campy comic book stuff where there's a doomsday weapon and our hero needs to go stop it somehow, you know? And he doesn't do it alone, he enlists Lucius to help him create an antidote and he uh gets gordon, gordon to drive help. the batmobile so while gordon chases the train down in the batmobile batman has to fly his way to to well one to save people mm-hmm. because at this point he's the only person that's immune to the uh vapor mm-hmm. and he has and to save gordon and rachel right? oh yeah because they were all they inoculated. were all inoculated and so he has to fight his way out of the narrows to be able to save uh, save Gotham, pretty much. Mm. So, they do that really cool... Well, going back to what you said, before I jump the shark, or before I jump ahead, right? Because <laughs> that's what this episode's going to be. <laughs> this is where we get to see Scarecrow in his full, quote-unquote, costume, where we see him through the eyes of somebody else, though. Because now that everyone's hallucinating, it brings out the worst and their fears. And we see like a weird demonic scarecrow on the demon horse. Yeah, Yeah, it was so cool. And then who immediately gets tased by Rachel. So he goes out like a fucking punk. And disappears. Yeah, never never see him again. again. I was like, oh, he's going to come back. Doesn't come back. Fucking dies. (laughs) Um. But then we see that we get this really cool scene where after Batman saves Rachel... He and he and he gets to tell her the same thing that she told him. Right. Well, back when he got back to Gotham. And then, and the line is, you know, it's not, it's not who you are underneath, but it's what you do that defines you. Woo! Which is funny because he does that funny scratchy Batman voice, but for this scene, he doesn't. Yeah, he like, doesn't. He does the Bruce Wayne voice, and she knows who he is, and. He, you know, does the awesome swan dive off the building. And the <laughs> cool part of it is as people look up, they see the bat demon that Jonathan Crane saw earlier in the movie. And it was just a really well done scene. And then, so he fights his way, uh, he confronts, uh, he, he fights his way through goons, f- confronts um, uh, Ra's al Ghul. And, he's, uh, and he tells him, oh, I've, what was it? I've beaten one of your goons before. And then he's like, oh, try beating four. Mm-hmm. So he just starts beating the shit out of all these jobbers. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, then he grapples into the train where he's at. So cool. Which, yeah, this is awesome. Like, Roz is surprised that he's there, yep. you know, and they end up having a fight, which is supposed to be, like, a callback to the original, to the fight that they have on the ice. Yeah. Out in, That's you know, so out cool. in Asia. And, um, you know, it's, it's, they, they even go through, you know, the gauntlets that are on Batman's costume yep. come from that scene, yep. right? So it's like, it, there's a functional reason why it exists. He doesn't have just the bat things just cause. Yeah, like, and the idea is that it's supposed to destroy, so, like, it's supposed to help you destroy a sword or yep. keep a sword from, like, hurting you. You can block it and destroy it. Like, it, there's, everything about Batman is there for a reason in it's this functional. movie. It's so fucking cool. And, and um, it's the one thing that doesn't fit because everything else is tactical or high tech and all of a sudden he has just these iron gauntlets around his wrists that yeah. protect him, you know? Well, even even the mask, right? Like, the mask is from when he, like, the, the mask and the cape come because he dived off the police department when he was wearing a ski mask and, and he just fucking an outfit. gave himself a concussion. Exactly. And, like... So it's like yeah. it's 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 um it's a really good fight scene. There's some really good dialogue in it, and uh, I think. The, you know that's where he it, it once, gives us the great line well well batman turns it on him right yeah he says you never learn to mind your surroundings mm-hmm. and that's where he says he finally learns to do what is necessary and um and he you know that's when he looks at Roz and what is the line uh what was it i don't uh i'm not going to kill you but i don't have to save you which is in character because he's done this earlier in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> he has no problem with letting nature take its course. So he ends up blowing off the, the cart from the trailer. He breaks a window to create an air current. So, and he blows off uh, half of the train so that he can fly out. And the one thing that Ra's al Ghul does not account for is the fact that Batman has backup. Yep. And that's that it was Gordon who was right there uh, blowing up the rails, keeping, you know, which basically caused the train to derail and fall into an underground tunnel. A tunnel that will be safe and will not destroy Gotham's water supply. And ends up exploding, and the entire well, the entire time you you're thinking, oh, you know, well, if it's the real Ra's al Ghul, he can walk away. No, that shit blows up. Yeah, there is no way Ra's is coming back. He is mega dead. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, he'll be fine. He'll walk it <laughs> off. So, uh, you know, that is that that's the big that is the big uh, you know climax of the movie. That was so good. Um, from there. Uh, you get Rutger Hauer being fired from Wayne Enterprise. Because this character's a massive dick. Everyone gets their comeuppance. Yeah. You know, fucking Rutger Hauer gets fired. Uh, uh, Lucius gets promoted to the new CEO of... Rachel Dawes becomes the district attorney. Mm-hmm. And, um, what's it called? Uh, Sergeant Gordon becomes Lieutenant Gordon. Yep. Moving on up in the ranks. So he's not commissioner yet. Um, but at the end of the movie, uh, you know, he does put a, a bat signal on the roof of police headquarters, um, <clears throat> which Batman comes to. And, and, and even in this movie, something like that actually comes from an idea. Yep. And when he had told Gordon to watch for his sign, initially he puts Falcone on top of a, uh, on top of a searchlight. Yeah. And that's where he, like, gets the idea to put the bat design over it, right? Yeah. So. It's because he drapes him over like a bat. This takes us to the to the lovely tease where Gordon tells Batman that there's somebody uh, trying to make a name for himself with the flair for the theatrics just like him. To which Batman says he'll look into it. And which, it's funny, like, it, it, it's, it's funny because 
This movie came out before we really knew what a reboot was. Oh yeah, like, totally. Reboot was not a term that you use for movies yet. Mm -hmm. What everyone thought this was, and what I thought this was, was a prequel. I mm -hmm. thought this was a prequel to Tim Burton's Batman. <laughs> 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 uh, really? Well, I just like to me, I was just like, yeah, because they said an origin story, and they, 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 when the movie was coming out, so you out, thought it had to fit. Well, they the referred to it continuity. as a prequel, and yeah. I think it was because the Star Wars prequels were coming out at this yeah. time. Like we had just gotten uh, that year. Prequels we were, were becoming a thing at this. Yeah, point. Yeah, like that year we were gonna get. Uh, the third movie in the prequel trilogy. Yeah. Um, and then we were also going to get James Bond being rebooted the next year. That's right. Casino, Casino Royale, Royale, which is the first Ian Fleming, like, story, right? Yeah. So it's, it, like, it just felt like everyone was going to go back to the beginning on everything. But this is where you were like, okay, this is obviously not a, a prequel prequel to... It's uh, a prequel the to Burton. this Batman. Exactly. So... And this is where we get the, the, the scene where... Uh, Gordon gives Batman the evidence bag with the Joker card in it. Which apparently is from a comic. It is. That's actually directly from Year One. Yeah. So. Where, so, one thing, uh, and be well, before that, you know, we, we get this scene where they have that interaction, uh, by they, I mean Rachel and Bruce, where pretty much Rachel tells Bruce, you know, you, uh, you know I love you, but we can never be together because of who you are, right? And she's referring to him being Batman because being Batman is who he really is. And, you know, they're reconstructing Wayne Manor and they have that awesome uh, interaction between uh, Alfred and Bruce where uh, Alfred said, oh, I was thinking we can reinforce something on the southeast side. Or was it that we can reinforce mm -hmm. the beams down by... Uh, by this corridor, and he goes, "Oh, you mean the southeast corridor, where exactly where the where the Batcave would have been?" Yeah. So, you know, it the ending was really good. It wrapped it up in a way where if there was no sequel, yeah. I would have been okay with it. Yeah, like this is this is this is like he goes on to become Batman, and you could picture him fighting endless worlds. Yeah. and now the one thing I do wish was in this movie, in the video game. I remember they have this ending quote that Christian... Because, you know, obviously it's a licensed video game. They had Christian Bale do the voiceover. He did a closing voiceover that was supposed to be after, you know, his talk with Rachel. Where he goes, Rachel was right. I can never be the man she needs me to be because I will, I will forever wear a mask. And, she's like, and then he's like, Jonathan Crane uh, wore a scarecrow mask. Um, Ra's al Ghul had a mask, and he goes, "My mask will forever be Bruce Wayne." And I was like, "Oh shit, son! <laughs> Little fucking fourteen-year-old Javi lost his shit because of how deep that sounded." <laughs> but well, what I think is really great, <laughs> and that this movie introduces here at the end, is just the great ending moments between Gordon and Batman. Yep. And in this one, you know, he, Gordon, like, talks to him about what's going to happen when things escalate. Yeah. Like, what's going to happen when, when They things, get, what when, was it, we got bulletproof armor, they get yeah. assault rifles yeah, or they, something. Yeah, like. they get armor-piercing rounds, um, you know, we buy semi-automatics, they buy automatics. And, yeah. You know, and all this stuff. And they talk about how things are just going to get worse before they get better. And, um, but you can tell that Gordon trusts him. Yeah. <clears throat> and that he knows that he's doing the right thing for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that's where you get that awesome moment where Batman's about to, you know, jump off the roof of the uh, of the police headquarters. And Gordon turned around and he, you know, he goes, he goes, hey, he goes, I never said thank you. And that's when Batman turns around and then he gives him that great line where he says, and you'll never have to. Yeah, that's what and it was. And he just jumps off the roof, goes parachuting into the air, and uh, credits roll. Yeah. We are at, you know, and I was just like, fuck, this was awesome. Yeah. Like... Awesome. So, <laughs> do we like Batman Begins? I think it's pretty obvious we like Batman Begins. And I promise eventually we will start picking movies that we don't like. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's... I love this movie. Um, I don't think it's the best one in the series. I think the best one is the next one that, that Chris Nolan creates. Yeah. This movie does have a special vibe, though, that is never captured in any of the sequels of the mm -hmm. Nolan movies. It felt supernatural and fantasy enough while also feeling grounded enough. Yeah. Whereas I feel like the next two movies go way more into this is real world and this is... You better fucking like how grim and gritty this is, asshole. <laughs> So it's it's you know, but obviously I really love this movie. It rekindled my love for Batman. It made me love comic books. It made me go watch Watchmen the next year mm -hmm. opening night. Um, it probably created a lot of my friendships with the people that I know now because they were also into comics. Yeah. At that time, so it's it's uh, I cannot recommend it enough. Of course, I love Batman Begins. I will say that if you are someone who will have trouble with that first hour of the movie being a lot of the origin story, and also because we live in a time where we've been watching superhero origin movies for 15 years, yep. I will understand if people are fatigued by it and don't like it as much. Mm -hmm. I can fully accept that. But for me, it is a great movie. I'm not, yeah, I like this movie. Like, it's pretty obvious I like Batman. But looking back, watching with 2020 hindsight, is, you know, you notice that the imperfections in this movie, like we said earlier, I hate the fight scenes. Like, the fight scenes look so weird. What's it called? The uh, symbolism or the allegory it's trying to tell is a little ham-fisted, but that's kind of Chris Nolan's style. Mm -hmm. um, you learn to live with it. But there is a lot to love in this movie, too, if you aren't familiar. Like, Angels, or like we were saying earlier, that first hour does drag on if you're not into world building, if you're not into the Batman story. But if you want a true-to-form movie, like, story about Batman that pulls straight from the comics and something that, like, this is coming from two nerds, that this is a nerd-certified film. This pulls stuff straight from the comics. So if you want what the essence of what a Batman movie feels like, this is a great jumping on point for just the Batman stories. And, you know, like we, it really did, like for me, like I read Batman Year One before I saw this movie. So I was really looking forward to this movie because of that. But this movie made me go out and watch Dark Knight Returns. This uh, made me go out and watch the, or read The Watchmen too. Like this made me go out and read uh more Frank Miller stories like it it's definitely pulls like so well from these comics that it inspired me to become a huge fucking nerd um and this one as far as the rest of the movies like I'm like me personally I'm not a huge fan of the Batman costume in this movie because I'm not I started moving away from the whole tactical looking Batman uh, I think we talked about it in Watchmen, where I, or where I, I mentioned I really like the Batman 
uh, Dark Knight Returns costume, the Batman vs. Superman costume we get, the the gray on black, or I'm sorry, the black on gray. Um, but it, like Angel said, this is a movie that reflects its time, you know. Batman is using military-grade weapons because we were militarizing up at a time where our country was afraid, you know, and it definitely reflects that. Um, but all the, all those criticisms aside, it's definitely worth a watch if you never watched it before. Me, personally, I think it's it helped turn a page as far as bat as batman movies go as superhero movies go like we mentioned earlier it created that these superheroes that we watch aren't just heroes by themselves they're heroes with a team and the people around them are just as responsible for them becoming who they are and this is something that i this is the type of stupid shit i live for in in superhero stories and like i said if you want a good campy save the city from the evil villain story this is like the stereotype for that it's awesome yeah so uh we'd like to thank everybody for joining us for this episode uh, apologies again for the late posting that we're going to do for this but you know we really appreciate you guys sticking with us uh you know and downloading the episodes uh, please, please continue to download our show uh, on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, um, you know, and all the platforms that we're on. Uh, please continue to, uh, you know, comment and uh, and give us ideas for new movies to review. Um, and also just, you know, give us reviews on iTunes. Uh, give mm-hmm. us reviews in, you know, on Podbean or whatever. <clears throat> and continue to engage with us on social media. Uh, we are really enjoying... This new podcast that we've been doing several episodes in now, and uh, we look forward to providing more really good content for our listeners. So. And please don't forget to send those suggestions, whether it's by our Instagram page, Facebook page, uh, Instagram, Do We Like Movies Pod. Uh, Gmail is Do, do We, we like, like Movies Pod, pod at, at Gmail. Gmail. Yeah, so Do We Like Movies Pod at Gmail. You guys can send us stuff there if you want. Who Who emails? Like, I don't want to email at work. So, I mean, yeah. if you really want to be weird, go for it. Or you can hit us up on the chat. You can always message us. Probably IG is our most. Yeah. That's where we get our most traffic. Right. So, so thank you again, all of you guys that have been listening, downloading, and supporting, and interacting with us. Y'all the best. Y'all the realest. I wish I had a million dollars so I can give you all one dollar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Um, and, uh... For Javi, I'm Angel. Later, turns.